You may be seated. Today we continue uh, in our series, uh, The Story, and take a next chapter, literally, of the history of Israel and God's work here on earth. So I'm going to be reading out of page 61, if you have your book here with you, and if you have an NIV Bible, because that's a translation I'm reading, uh, it's Exodus 21 through 17. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth or beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and all do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or a donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's remember, I want you to remember that statement, that last part of the verse, everything the Lord has said we will do. Israel's response to Moses when he come down with the laws of the Lord. So how did you learn about um, the Ten Commandments? Go ahead and speak out. How did you learn about the Ten Commandments originally? Way back when for some of us? Charlton Hiss. Okay, you went right to the punchline here, okay? Come on, Jay, work with me. Okay. Some of you in Sunday school, right? <laughs> yeah, and confirmation, or your parents, or whatever. But if we're honest with ourselves, this is how we probably learned about Ten Commandments. Woe unto thee, O Israel! You have sinned a great sin in the sight of God. You are not worthy to receive these Ten Commandments. There is no freedom without the law. Whose law, Moses? Yours? Did you carve those tablets to become a prince over us? Moses! 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 You have cursed. The people made me do. Those who will not live by the law shall die by the law. Okay, it doesn't get any better than Geraldton Heston, does it? Does it, Jay? Not at all. 
you know, you know what, though? I actually went back and watched that, and actually, it's pretty true, the biblical story. I mean, they glamorized some sections, but it was actually pretty accurate. Um, so now, that's a way many of us probably have the framework in our mind. You know, we had the, the picture show in our mind of Scripture. And for us who are a little less cultured than some of you, uh, this is how we maybe remember the Ten Commandments. Mountain, and God spoke unto him. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? <laughs> Nothing, I don't forget it. Oh, Lord, why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws, and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord. Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me. Oh, hear me. All pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these 15. <laughs> ten, ten commandments <laughs> for all to obey. Okay. Forgive me, Lord, for that. I just had to do that. I'm sorry. So we're picking up the story here of Israel. Uh, last week we, we learned about Israel's exodus from Egypt and his deliverance of them. And now we're in chapter 19 of Exodus. And actually this whole section here is chapters 19 through 33. And I'm going to preach it all here in 20 minutes. You think I can do it? Yeah. Wow, you got, we got an optimistic con- you know, congregation because every. One's responded positively. Okay. Well, we're going to give it a shot here, so hold on. Here we go. Um, So as we look back to the story of God so far, we see originally, if we go back to the garden, God is relating to Adam and Eve in a personal way. And then we had a picture of God relating to who? Who did he relate to next? What was our next sermon? Abraham. All right? So at this point... God is relating to people one-on-one. Well, here's where the story turns a little bit. And God is going to interact with the nation of Israel. And he's going to make them his people for his divine purposes. But before this can happen, he has to set up some rules, some guidelines of how this is going to happen. So we find in this section, and we'll learn more about this a little bit later on. He gives rules to build this place where he will dwell, a tabernacle, tabernacle where he will interface with his people. And also along with that, he gives some guidelines, some rules, some commandments on how he will interact with his people and how they should live with each other. But one thing I want us to remember as we go through all this is this, is that when we look at these commandments For us as New Testament believers, we need to keep a framework together. And we need to remember that these are not just rules. They're not just, it's not just religion. It's about relationship. God is seeking a relationship with us just like he did with Israel thousands of years ago. 
He is shaping and molding them into the nation he wants them to be for his divine purposes. He's developing a relationship. Not, and this is very much just like parents would with their kids, right? You know, you, that old, you know, you live under my roof. These are my rules. Oh, come on. You've never said that? you never said that? I've never said that, have I? Not, not in the last two days I haven't said that. <laughs> yeah, not lying? Okay, we'll get to that later. Anyway, much like a parent is shaping and molding their children into the people that God wants them to be, this is how God is interacting with Israel. So I grew up in a house that, you know, we had guns and BB guns and stuff, and I loved shooting my BB gun. Uh, I was fortunate to have a backyard that was kind of a jungly backyard, so I could go set up my target and shoot my BB gun. It was one of those old school ones where you keep, keep pumping and keep pumping and keep pumping, and you're like the last one, you're like, boom, you know, because you're trying to get as much air in there as possible. Well, I, I loved to shoot it, and then when it got cold, though, uh, I couldn't go outside, you know, it was too cold to go outside, and... Um, I would devise my own little target practice inside. Because, you know, I I figured out that if I sit way back in the dining room of our little house, opened up all the doors in the hallway in my bedroom, set my target up on the far side of my bedroom, I had a really good little shooting gallery right there in my own little bedroom. Well, it was great fun. You know, I was having fun. But then one day I ran out of BBs, so I went to pellets, you know, because they were there and... Pellets, by the way, are a little bigger than BBs. If you didn't have the joy of a BB gun growing up, pellets are a little smaller. I mean, bigger than a BB. And as I was doing my target practice indoor of the house, all of a sudden, I, one of the shots I heard a bing, bing, bing. Oh, oh. And sure enough, I had ricocheted off of something somewhere, missed the target totally, I guess, because it was like one of those little foam targets, and went and broke. Uh, the light in my room, the cover to the light in my room. Okay. Well, a lot of molding and shaping was going on after that with my parents, with me, on my little target practice inside. And from then on, uh, the rules were definitely laid down. And the new rule number one is no guns in the house. No guns in the house took care of rule number two, which is no targets in the house, no target practice in the house. So anyway... Uh, We'll tell more about that here in just a second. Just remember that God seeks to have a relationship with all of us. It's more than rules and religion. Have you ever noticed from the Ten Commandments that you can break it up in kind of two different groups? If we look at it, um, the first four commandments, you look at them, what are they referring to? What kind of rules are they for? For God, our relationship with God, right? Through that is no other gods, no idols, Don't misuse God's name. Remember the Sabbath. Okay, what about the second six? How about that? What's that define in our relationships with each other, right? With others. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. No adultery. No stealing. No false testimony. Do not covet. So here we see that God is setting up his relationship with himself and Israel, but also how Israel will interact with each other, how they will get along. Jesus even confirms this in Mark chapter 12 when the teachers of the law came to him and asked him what the greatest commandment was. He said that, listen, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, the only Lord. You must love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, 
and love your neighbor as yourself. So we look at these Ten Commandments, and you might think, well, that's great, Greg. This is uh, great for Israel thousands of years ago. Um, what about us? Well, I think if we look at them, these laws can be timeless in this way. If we kind of reframe them a little bit from the negative to positive. So first we look at no other gods. What, what's the purpose behind that? We want to be centered on God in our lives. What about no idols? We don't want to have any stumbling blocks in our lives between us and God. Anything that would hinder us, our relationship with God. What about do not misuse God's name? He wants us to honor God with, with our words. Remember the Sabbath. Take a day off every once in a while. The law of diminishing return. For those of you who have worked end on end, day after day, what happens after a while? You know, you don't become as productive. God knew what he was doing. You need to take a rest day every once in a while. Do not, mur- uh, excuse me, honor your father and mother. Why? Because I said so, that's why. <laughs> Do not murder. Human life is sacred. No adultery. We need to have healthy relationships. No stealing. Honor boundaries. And my car, by the way. I threw that. I had thrown it. I was up in Dallas last summer with the family. Our car got broken into and the radio robbed and everything. And so that's a, that one's a little touchy with me. I wish people would honor that one more. <laughs> no false testimony. We need to be living an ethical life. Do not covet. God wants us to live a life of contentment, content with what he has given us. So you see, if you reframe a little bit, these commandments are timeless for all generations. And I think even if you're not a Christian, these are pretty good rules, right? If you lived by some of these rules, you'd be doing pretty good. God knew what he was doing. Well, the good news is God has not forgotten about you. He's not forgotten about us. He's still the God who wants to have that relationship. He's still the God that wants to give us those boundaries to live by. And so that we can know all that he is, wants us to accomplish in our lives. So let's get back to the story here real quick, the Exodus story. So Israel, and we saw part of this in the, in the movie clips earlier. Um, Moses goes um, up and brings down the law. Then he goes back up again to the mountain. And he's gone for 40 days. Well, during that 40 days, what happens to the nation of Israel? They slowly degrade, and you know how that mob mentality kind of works, and the worst fears are coming to gear, and they, and they go back, and they go to Aaron and say, well, you've got to do something. And so Aaron gathers up all the gold, and they make a what? Golden cow, calf. And they begin worshiping it. They go back to what they knew in Egypt. And this is the people that just said, we will do everything the Lord says we, we should do just a few weeks earlier. And now they've reverted back. You know, just real quick, I love when Moses comes back and he discovers what's going on. And he goes to Aaron in, in the scriptures. It says, uh, what have you done, Aaron? And he says, you know how evil these people are, Moses. I mean, they wanted to worship an image of God. So I had made them collect their gold. They gave me their gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. You know, So I, I, Aaron threw everybody under the bus really quick there. I just thought that was kind of interesting. So here we are. But here's this interesting thing is that these people who so are being delivered by God and are following God said, we'll give you everything, God. And here just a few weeks later, they're worshiping an idol. 
And we'll see this throughout the rest of this Old Testament. There's this cycle with Israel, one of repentance and then falling away, of repentance and falling away. After a while, you're like, guys, don't you get it? Don't you get it? You have a faithful God. But we shouldn't be too harsh on them. Why? Because this is a perfect picture of us. Because we drift, don't we? We have a tendency to drift away from God and what he has intended for us in our lives. There's something about it. I don't know. You might be all perfect. and You got it all together. But if I don't keep God the center and focus, what happens? I start drifting back to the old habits, the old ways, those old things that used to tie me down, those old things that hindered my relationship with others. Israel's problem is our problem. We drift. So back to the BB gun story. So I learned my lesson, right? A couple weeks later, (laughs) I got bored again. (laughs) And no one was around. Everybody was gone. So I thought, you know, I'll set up my little target. No one will really know. It's just one little, you know, I'll just shoot a few BBs, you know. It'd just be a few, you know, because I had restocked on BBs uh, with one of the case. Well, I went through a whole thing of BBs, and uh, so I went back to pellets again. You know, you think I would have learned the first time. So I'm sitting on my target, I'm plunking away. All of a sudden, I hear, bing, bing, bing. It was more of a thud, bing. It wasn't a, and I knew right away what had happened. I, it ricocheted off and put a hole in my bedroom window and sent cracks all the way to the corners. Say, no problem, right? You know, you know, yes, you're in trouble, but you can replace that, whatever. Well, this is the 1970s, and our house was built sometime in the 60s, I think. And someone, in all their wisdom, built this aluminum frame window, and bricked it in on the outside, and, sh- and it was built right into the wall. So the only way you could change the window was, like, take all the casing off around it and basically replace the window, the whole unit itself. So this wasn't a little thing, and I knew that. I knew that. My dad always told me that was the case. And so I was like, why didn't I learn my lesson? And so I, I, I laid there. I remember laying there on the couch with a blanket over my head because I knew the axe was going to fall when Dad got home. But you know what? He got home, and he was very gracious. I didn't deserve it. But he's very gracious. More on that in a second. So we're in the part of the story with the Israelites in the tabernacle. In chapters 25 through 30, he gives specific instructions on how to build the tabernacle. There's a picture of it there for you. It's a tent-like structure. Basically, it's a portable worship center. You th- for those of you who helped start the church here, you thought you were portable. Try dragging that thing around in the desert. And I'm not going to go into all the construction, but God gave specific directions on how it should be built, how the offering should be performed, what the priest should do, what garments should wear. is very detailed. He's describing here how the sacrifices will be made, how atonement will be made, how he will interface with his people. Now, later on, once they get to the promised land, we'll see them build a couple temples. And this is where the place that God dwells. But for us as New Testament believers, we've seen the other side of the story, right? How so when it comes to the tabernacle? Well, if we go to John chapter 1, 14, 
It reads, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have, been, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, if we go back to the Greek there, the original biblical language, that section where it says, made his dwelling, that is the root form, is related to a noun that means tabernacle. So if we go back and translate it with that in mind, Jesus became flesh and and tabernacled among us. Jesus is our tabernacle. He is even a better tabernacle than the original. Why? Because of what he did for us on the cross, that he rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father, we're tapped into a power that the Israelites didn't know. And when it comes with that tabernacle of Jesus, there's a grace and a mercy that they never knew. We're so fortunate. Because when we drift, what happens? We can go back to Jesus, and his grace and mercy is there to receive us back in again, back into his arms for that waiting relationship. And so we look through the progression right now, the story so far. We see, we look at the garden, and there was a blessed relationship that was lost. We see God build a tent to manifest himself in the desert. But we know of Jesus who came is the better tabernacle for us. So we need to remember this. In the end, the story of Israel at Mount Sinai is our story God is seeking a relationship with each and every one of us, just like he did with Israel. That we have this bent towards drifting away from God. And if we're not diligent, not intentional about keeping him, Jesus, the center of our life, we will drift. He is our tabernacle. He has lived the life that we cannot live. He knows every need, including that sin that hinders us so much. So today, I'm asking you to, as we look at this story, examine your own lives, your own heart, and see and identify those areas. Where am I drifting? Where do I have a tendency to drift in my life away from what God has for me, falling back to those old habits, those old addictions, those old ways of shattered relationships? And am I keeping Jesus the center of my life? Because today and every day, we need to make Christ our focus and allow the King of Heaven to make His home inside of us. Let's pray. Father God, first of all, thank You that You have made a way. As we are reading Your story We thank you, most of all, that through Jesus, you have intersected with our story. That you're a God that is with us every step of the way. And that when we have a tendency to fall away and drift away from you and what you have for us, you're there with open arms, ready to receive us with your grace and mercy. So we say thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you strengthen us day by day. That you guide and direct. 
That's what we ask for when we leave this place. May we truly keep you the center of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.